Welcome to Shared Instance, a podcast on iOS development by three iOS developers in Cincinnati, Ohio. I'm Sam Corder. I'm Alex Argo. And I'm Alex Robinson. This is episode 130. All right, you iPhone 10 owners, I'm jealous right now. <laughs> I'm still waiting for mine. It'll be here, eh, I guess, in about 10 days, roughly. Didn't wanna, you didn't want to brave the, the cold and go wait in line overnight or anything fun like that? No, I had no idea even when I would have to, to get there and get up. And That's part of the fun, Sam. <laughs> I didn't want to, us didn't want to wait in in the store line for hours and hours and then just be told, "Oh, you're you're too far back in line. You're not going to get anything." I know when I wait in line for something like that, I'll start like I remember with the SNES Classic, I started calling early the day before to see kind of what the situation was at the stores and like how many people were in line or whatever. I believe you can now uh order through the app or in-store pickup, or see yeah, availability. I, right. I, I know the that website, iStockNow.com, they're showing iPhones, iPhone 10 availability, but they're pretty few and far between. Um, there was one listed in Tennessee, but it, I think it must have been some kind of error because it said it was a gold model, and that doesn't exist. Yeah, and that sounds like an iPhone 8. I've got to imagine that the, it's kind of like the AirPods and that like they are gradually in stock at various stores. But, you know, when they show up, or at least it was like this with AirPods a while back, when they showed up, they were not in stock for very long. It was like the people who were in the store kind of went right at them. And then maybe if you had like a Apple store business partner person, they'd like let you know, hey, <laughs> some <laughs> AirPods in stock. Yeah, I... I'm not extremely worried about it. The apps that I have don't, they're not, uh, they're not problematic in landscape because they're not landscape. And I've tested on the simulator enough to see that it works pretty well. Yeah. I'm feeling, I'm feeling good right now because got all of our updates out for iPhone 10. Although there's some minor things we need to fix going forward. It, the apps are, are not like a letter bar, letterbox garbage pile of, of UI. Um, <laughs> So that's good. Uh, and we kind of had to rush the past month or so to get that stuff ready. And now we kind of relax a little bit and, and play with our new iPhone 10. Well, the nice thing was to get a really fast update. All you had to do was say that your app included fixes for iPhone 10. Yeah, although we submitted ours before we were allowed to say that. So. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we're not as worried these days about how long updates take. They've been pretty good for me. Yeah, I think this one, mine was the um, same day. So that was that was nice. I don't even feel the need to report my uh, times anymore on like the iOS app review times, Twitter. Yeah, it's I guess right now the the slow one is the beta review, and even that that's not terrible. It's still kind of a long time for a beta review. Yeah, it, it's sad when uh, the full review is faster than the beta review, but. I mean, it makes sense though, because why why it is that way? Because people would like open up accounts and then try to like get unauthorized apps out to people, since they can do you know thousands of beta quote beta testers now. So it makes sense why they're more thorough on on those types of things, I guess. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. It's probably a number of people too that are tasked at doing the beta reviews versus 
the actual app reviews. I mean, the thing to remember, though, is if you just need it internally, uh, there's there's still no beta review for iTunes Connect. So if this is just like an internal team and you have a new version or a new beta or something like that, you don't need to go through beta review. It's only once you, you know, break out of your, I don't know, is it like 25 or something iTunes Connect users? I forget how what the limit is there, but you know, give give one one Apple ID to QA and you should be good to go. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it still takes forever for that app to for iTunes Connect to process your app upload. That's why you have Fastlane do it and don't worry about it. Yeah, but even still, from the time that you upload it till the time maybe you get the notification, it can be quite a bit of time. Yeah, it could be a few minutes or it could be a few hours. Yeah, it's that's it's kind of annoying. Range. Yeah, but I feel like the I mean, the alternative is using some ad hoc distribution method where you are you have to use the device IDs and all that junk. And I guess my thought is if you got it automated in CI somehow, it's, it's less hassle just to wait for that than it is to worry about device ID. Yeah. And it's more real world, too. Stuff. It's not, you know, when you go through a third party, it's, it's a little bit different experience. Test flights pretty close to the app store experience. Yeah, There's it's, a few things you can only do through TestFlight, like tvOS apps. So, yeah. Alex, you got your phone on Friday. Uh, what are your first impressions? So, one of the weird things is I was... I, well, I, I guess my first impression was this is a nice-looking phone. Screen is amazing. Face ID seemed to work pretty darn well. Um, I was surprised kind of how heavy the phone was. I feel like it's more dense than my Plus phone was. I don't know. It's definitely heavier. Heavier. Yeah, it's heavier than a than like a seven or eight, just a regular phone. It's about the same size. The battery is um, bigger. It's got an L shape to it. Right. It's it's. I look though, and it's like the weight is lower than a like an iPhone eight plus or seven plus. Mm-hmm. But I think it may be kind of just the fact that it's more compact. It seems like like I said, more dense. Kind of the word I'd use. But man, I, I, I'll get that iPhone 10 Plus or 11 Plus whenever they come out with that. <laughs> I am, I am missing some of the wideness of my phone, like the keyboard. I'm having to reacclimate myself to the size, but I love the phone. It's pretty amazing. The screen is amazing. Like with the OLED screen, like the black is blends in nicely with the bezel, kind of like the Apple Watch. So theoretically, you don't wouldn't even necessarily need to put padding. Uh, for some UI controls uh, because of the bezel, especially if you had a, a black-themed, dark-themed app. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see what, you know, given that the black, both in theory, is lower power consumption and the bezel blends in with a black background, we might see a, a, a design trend towards black from the current kind of white complexion reduction trend that we've been seeing lately. Yeah, I, I kind of wonder if there's going to change with iOS 12. We'll get dark mode. Yeah, we'll get something's going to be different. I feel like because with a with a phone like this, it's the future of phones. I feel like navigation controllers you do differently. Um, I feel like the swiping from the the ears is still kind of a a weird thing. I don't know. We'll have to see what they do. But I've got a feeling like they were trying to minimize the changes since we have like a month to uh, accomplish them before the yeah. phone came out. Yeah, I guess 12 will be the first iOS that's actually built for the iPhone 10. 
Yeah, they they definitely had things in mind, but the one they probably couldn't reveal what the phone was going to be to every one of their engineers. And if they would have made the changes up front, it really would have signaled what they were working on back in June when we all got the betas. So 12, I guess, will be much more tailored to the 10. Yeah, we'll have to see what they do. I've got a feeling it'll be different, though. So my first impression of the Face ID was a little suboptimal. Like, you know, every everything I read um, made it sound like it was super fast and great experience. And uh, my phone arrived while I was out of town, so I didn't actually get to play with it until really Sunday. So I haven't spent much time with it at this point, being Monday. But I had to set it up a second time because the first time I think I just had the wrong angle or something because it wasn't wasn't working all that well. Giving your phone a goofy look or something like that? Something. I I was holding it more eye height. You were holding it wrong? Yes, I was holding it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> but between that, and it's definitely slower, in my opinion, than Touch ID. And then I also found, like, if you have the brightness pretty low on the screen, if you're in the dark, it doesn't, It it's not so great at unlocking. So are really, you using Race to Wake? What's that? Are you using Race to Wake? That's on by default. I turned that off because I don't care for it. So that might be one reason why it's slower for you. No, it was. I it was like that when I had Race to Wake. You know, I don't know if it gets smarter over time. The more times it identifies you, if it gets better at it. Yeah, you gotta you gotta use it the way that that Apple wants you, Alex. You may be yeah. using it wrong. Maybe that's your I maybe your issue. So, so when you say you feel like it's slow, how are you unlocking your phone? You're hitting the button and then you're looking at it. Or? I tap the screen to wake it. If I, okay. if if you have raised the wake turned off, you can tap the screen to wake it, and then you look at it and then swipe up. But yeah, it I feel can like take a couple of seconds for it to kick in, and sometimes I have to bring it closer to my face. Yeah, so I, I have learned that there's like a certain range that you want to keep it keep it at, and also. Um, I found some scenarios where it doesn't work. Like if I'm like laying on my side, all scrunched up or something like that, like giving myself like a double chin because I'm like all scrunched up or something, it it, it won't recognize me. But then I just like pop my head up like normal, and it's like, oh, there you go. <laughs> yeah. So you know, somebody pointed out like Touch ID was pretty slow when it first came out. So I, you know, I'm sure this will improve, and I'm already starting to get more accustomed to it. That it's less of an issue. It's just that first day, it was like, man, I was so much more comfortable with Touch ID. And it's, you know, by the time I had it out of my pocket, it was unlocked. Yeah, I mean, it didn't take long to kind of develop the whole fluid motion where you would unlock your phone as you're pulling it out of your pocket. Well, obviously, you can't do that with Face ID. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I mean, I think the I think the fluid motion with the iPhone X is you basically just pick up the phone and look at it as you're picking it up and then swipe. Um, and it, and it just kind of works. I feel like if you're tapping to, to, you know, unlock or to activate the display and then activate face ID, that, that might be why it seems noticeably slower. Cause I mean, yeah, if you, if you time how long it takes to like look at the phone and then wait for it to unlock, yeah, it's slower than touch ID. But, um, if you just kind of lift it up and swipe, I feel like it opens just as quickly as if you were like taking your phone out of your hand or whatever. And the notification stuff 
is really nice. Like, I remember when they introduced that new Touch ID sensor, I think it was in, like, the iPhone 6S. It really bugged me that you could never get the notification screen to show anymore. It, you would, you know, basically put your, your thumb on the, or whatever, finger on the Touch ID sensor, boom, you'd be right at your home screen. Oh, yeah, that was, the 6S was really fast. Yeah, so that that bugged me, and now, like, you can actually, if you want to look at your notifications, look at them, tap on them to, you know, activate them, and then Face ID does its thing. Um, and I, I think how that stuff all works together works really well. If you want to tap on and tap through a notification, it's way slower than Face ID because you, you either tap or lift your phone up, uh, but you don't swipe up. You have to touch on the notification. Then it says, okay, I, I need Touch ID. Then you put your thumb on the Touch ID sensor. And then it opens up. So that whole process is way slower. And I feel like that's something I couldn't even do reliably before because it would just go right to my home screen. I don't, I don't know. It's, it's different. But once you start kind of thinking of things that way, I feel like it gets better. I, I, I challenge you, Alex, to turn on the, the raise to wake and, and try it that way more. No, I, that's probably not going to happen because. <laughs> <laughs> challenge not accepted. Not accepted. <laughs> no. Now I get up extra early, and if if the screen comes on and it's a really bright screen, um, every time I pick it up, that's just going to annoy everyone. So I probably won't be doing that. Bummer. So, <laughs> <laughs> so Alex, uh, why are, where were you this past weekend that you couldn't get to your iPhone on time? So I was at a conference uh, for the Kotlin programming language, uh, KotlinConf. And uh, if you haven't heard of Kotlin, it's a language developed by JetBrains. And recently it's been officially adopted by uh, Android. Google officially supports it on Android. And the Spring team also supports it for those that uh, de develop server-side apps with Spring. Uh, so it, I kind of think of it as uh, Swift for the JVM. So the, it's evolving beyond that. They have a Kotlin JS, which can generate your JavaScript, kind of like a coffee script type of thing. And it also yeah. started before Swift, too. It was released. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's been it was released before Swift. Yeah, and there, there's a number of features that it has that Swift doesn't have. There's a few things I think Swift does a little cleaner. Um because they have the benefit of seeing all these other languages implement features, but it's, uh, they've got coroutines co for async processing, which is, um, you know, still kind of in an experimental phase, but they're a little bit farther ahead of Swift on, on the async front. Uh, but they've got great language support, you know, because it is ultimately bytecode on the JVM. They don't have the uh, binary compatibility issue that we have with Swift. And they're working on what they call Kotlin Native, which uh, uses LLVM and to create frameworks and libraries that you can you call from C, Objective C, or or Java. Uh, so you can potentially reuse application logic uh, on Android, iOS, and the web. And their conference app was actually running on iOS, Android, and the and the web, uh, all written in Kotlin. So that's pretty cool. So can you actually create a library with it yet, with Kotlin native? It's still kind of early, early days for that, uh, but you can do it. <laughs> You're getting Sam excited. <laughs> well, you know where I'm going. 
<laughs> Although it seems like it's always early days with these type of solutions. They never yeah. really evolved to well, they've got, early days. They've got quite a bit of I mean, not that Apple is a lightweight, but you've, they've got Google and the Pivotal Spring team uh, you know, contributing heavily to making it better. So, you know, they've got a decent community driving it forward and JetBrains is really good at tooling. So it's got great tool support. You know, the, you know, for those that have migrated apps from Objective-C to Swift, um, understands the pain of doing that with Kotlin or going from Java to Kotlin. It's, you can pretty much run a converter tool or even just copy and paste Java code into a Kotlin file and it'll convert it for you. So, uh, you know, the, the tooling support is, is pretty nice. And there's some nice DSLs for writing, creating web pages. So you can create like a React web page, uh, using Kotlin and in kind of a DSL. So, uh, it's kind of nicer than working with, uh, JSX with React.js. Interesting. I'll have to look into that web one. I've, I've been doing Kotlin on Android now for a few months and I really do like it. I mean, it's got the, the missing, uh, semicolons, which is nice. Um, it, it is very swift like, but it's just different, different enough that when you go back and forth between the two, you know, your muscle memory gets confused. Yeah. Things like, do I need a parentheses for this if block or, you know, where's my guard statement? Oh, there is not one. That, that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And there, there were a few syntactic choices that felt like they were almost, uh, oh, let's, let's shove this in there. Um, and it didn't really, it wasn't like a thought out feature. It was more of the, let's cram it in in places where they use like an arrow versus a colon and, and things like that. I, not, it's not bad. It's just, there were a few things that after looking at Swift, it's like, huh, why'd they do it that way? But it has some pretty cool features that Swift doesn't have, like data classes essentially give you, you know, in one line of code, you can create a, a, a data model. Yeah, it's a very, very, um, I'd say developer productivity focused language. I wouldn't say that it's cutting edge where, you know, it's pushing the boundaries of language design or anything like that, but it is definitely focused on making a developer productive. Yeah. And I think, uh, I think we'll see Android developers flock to Kotlin pretty quickly. I think they are already seeing a huge spike in GitHub repos using Kotlin. Uh, for Android and, and other things. So I'm kind of excited about it. I'm interested in more for server side. You know, it's probably more mature than Swift on the server at this point. And yeah. I mean, it's got a giant list of, you know, existing Java framework. So that really helps. Yeah. Yeah. There's, side stuff. <laughs> yeah. I don't think there's really any Java features you can't use from Kotlin. No, you can write Kotlin code that would be difficult or impossible to use from Java. Yeah. And there was a session on that, how to, to write your code. So it exports cleanly for other platforms. And they, they've got this interesting language feature that they just introduced where you can have a kind of base interface class, and then you can have, then you can have concrete implementations for different platforms. So JavaScript and Java under the JVM and it uses this expected 
is kind of the the header of sorts. And then you use the keyword actual for the different concrete implementations uh, that are platform specific. So it's kind of a interesting approach. Hmm. Yeah, there there's a lot of things that are neat about it. Although there is some kind of some hidden weight, I guess you'd call it, to some of the features that they use. Some things it's just better to maybe code one way versus another because of the, the bytecode that's going to get generated underneath. Yeah, Swift so. is the same way to some degree, but I do think it'll evolve rapidly now that you've got such a growing uptake on it. Yeah, well, Colin has the problem, though, that it's compiling for a virtual machine and it has to basically comply with all the structure that comes comes along with that virtual machine that was really only designed for one language. And so there's, there's different things like when you use a companion object to do static methods, uh, it can't, to, to basically a companion object simulates a static method because there is no static methods in Kotlin. And so that generates an extra class. And then there's some kind of runtime penalties to, to communicate back and forth between the an object and its companion object, just different things like that that are constrained by the architecture that it's compiling for. But as long as you use these features sparingly, it's not going to hurt your program. Yeah. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing it evolve. There's a lot of things that are kind of still baking with it that, you know, we'll see updates probably throughout the rest of the year and into next year. Uh, but yeah, we've, we've been using Kotlin on Android for a little over a year now. And we've, we've really liked it. The learning curve has been pretty low and the, the number, the productivity gains and the, and the type safety and, and, you know, getting rid of null pointer exceptions and things like that has been a pretty big benefit. Yeah. It's, it's <laughs> definitely a good language to, to put in your tool belt. Yeah. You know, what it doesn't have is animojis. <laughs> 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 so kind of jumping back to iPhone 10, uh, I haven't actually had a chance to play with the Animoji feature yet. Uh, looks pretty cool. And I think like the face map and everything, I, I think developers have access to that. So in theory, uh, we could see some third party apps take advantage of it as well. Well, they demoed Snapchat, right? With their enhanced Animoji capabilities. Well, the kind of what do you call it? Kind of decorations on top of um, live video. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, I feel like part of the, the the really good part of Animoji is just the the models they have for all the different Animoji and all the facial expressions that they can do. You can tell they kind of built that API around the stuff they built for for the Animoji, and it just seemed like a really kind of goofy demo when uh you know Craig was up on stage doing all the different characters, but um, no, I mean, no horse weenie, Winnie. <laughs> the, the horse a Winnie. Kind of emoji. <laughs> I missed that one. Oh. It's a unicorn, by the way. It wasn't yeah. a horse, right? Yeah, the yeah. unicorn Winnie that uh, Craig did became a meme. I think before the event was over. <laughs> but yeah, so there's this thing that's kind of taken off on social media. You know, after the iPhone 10 launch, uh, called Animoji Karaoke. Have you guys seen this at all? I yep. think I did see a couple of them by mistake. 
but the I, I guess the thought behind it is people lip sync to you know various songs and it it looks like the Animoji are performing whatever the, the actual song was and there's it's kind of a fun juxtaposition you know with the Animoji singing like all these serious songs and <laughs> or really famous songs and it's just entertaining to watch I actually ended up making a Animoji karaoke as well. I'll see if I can give Sam the link and put it in the show notes. He wants to check out mine, but uh, they're just fun little fun little things to do. <laughs> what what song did you sing? I didn't sing. That's that's the beauty of Animoji karaoke is you just have to mouth the words. You don't actually have to sing. There's none of your voice that's involved, oh, which okay. the listeners, uh, I'm sure, if, if they click on the link, would appreciate that it's not me. But I I did a, a song from. The Hamilton soundtrack. So if you're a Hamilton fan, you may enjoy it as well. Um, if you're not, you may be like, this is a weird song with some with a chicken and a pig, but <laughs> it's a fun little thing. How many there's, different there's a, animojis are there? I want to say there's like 12 or so. Okay. Yeah, it's in that neighborhood. I could see that expanding over time or third party, you know, famous people, faces, faces of famous people. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, it'd be it, cool it if, like, interesting. it'd be cool if we got, like, seasonal ones. Like, maybe we get Santa Claus in December or something. Maybe around Easter where we get, like, Easter Bunny, although there's already a bunny. Um, stuff like that where it would be, like, and they would only show up seasonally, so that would keep people wanting to, you know, use Animoji and stuff as they knew Animoji came out. Yeah. I thought this was going to be a really stupid feature. I, I've been impressed. It's pretty fun. It's impressive, but it is it's still a stupid feature, I think. <laughs> says he who doesn't have his iPhone 10. <laughs> yeah, it's terrible. I hate it. <laughs> I think it'll be cool enough, long enough for like Samsung to copy it, and then that's when it, you know, becomes un. <laughs> well, hasn't? Well, no, I was gonna say hasn't Google already copied it? But they've uh, they've got a different thing. Yeah. Well, they don't have two front-facing cameras. Well, yeah, Google's is the Google thing you're talking about. They basically have these. Uh, little, they're not just like faces, they're like little models of various things, characters that you can use in, in their AR uh, framework that they introduced um, a couple months ago. Uh, and they, I mean, they seem like they have really cool animation stuff too, but it seems like, I don't know, it, it seems like one of those things where there's not the same amount of, like, it's not like iMessage where half of the people in the United States are going to have this on their phone. Seems like you have to be on the latest version of of Android, probably, which will happen in you know a couple of years from now. I don't know. Maybe you can you could embed it in apps, but there's not going to be like an app on on Android that has it everywhere. That's kind of the one of the interesting things that Apple is able to do. Like when iOS 11.1 just came out, and you know there were a whole bunch of new emoji, and Apple can push that stuff out, you know, super quick. And then, like, half the people in the country have it, whereas Google can't do that as well. Well, Google will just create another chat app, chat platform, and push that out to everybody. We'll call it, like, Trio or something. <laughs> yeah. No, actually, but, what I was thinking, though, was that the Pixel 2, which is their newest flagship phone, has a portrait mode, but they don't use dual cameras, but they're using more of a an AI TensorFlow kind of based thing where they're looking at the person and then basically software rendering a uh, 
figuring out where the person is in the scene and then blurring the background on that and everything. So they're, yeah, they're and I doing what, like the results of that is actually pretty good from what yeah. I've seen. Um, yeah, I haven't seen it in person. Well, just a little bit of the of the uh, portrait mode stuff, but I've seen it on blog posts. But, but yeah, I think it maybe has a little bit of trouble with the edges. They're not quite as crisp as what a a uh, iPhone Plus would do. Something that you could do with an actual dual camera, but pretty good. So continuing on the emoji uh, topic, iOS 11.1 hit, and 240 new emojis are now available on iOS. And a lot of these emojis have been under review for like over two years, waiting for the uh, emoji committee to approve and ship the final versions, which is kind of crazy, but... um, We've got everything from witches to vomit to uh, Stephen Colbert to just all sorts of things. So I actually listened to a podcast about uh, some people that were getting emojis approved. It's it's actually a pretty simple process. You just have to convince a, a bunch of people on the Unicode team that this is kind of a universal thing. And here's a graphic for it that people could use to or to go off of, and then it gets voted on and it's approved or denied. Anybody can do it. It doesn't matter where you're from or whoever. Um, the panel that it is made up of the people that are voting on these things, most of them come from U.S. companies, so it's a little bit easier to get U.S.-centric emojis approved, but there are other international companies as well, so it's... It's actually it was actually a very fascinating episode. I'll I'll see if I can dig up where where it was from and put it in the show notes. Yeah, but as a developer, I'm really glad that Apple put these emojis in here because uh, 11.1, I'm guessing, is going to have a way quicker update than 11.0 did, <laughs> just because yeah. of all the new emojis. Uh, people are still afraid to go to 11 because it has such a bad reputation for being buggy. But it has the emojis, Sam. I don't think you understand what motivates <laughs> right. like real users to update their phones. That's why they waited for the point one. Yeah. No, it's it's not even that. It's just a lot of people I've heard they don't want to update because they've heard that it's buggy. And not just because they're big fans of emojis. It's it's the carrot, but they're still afraid of the stick, I guess. Yeah. I think like the the point releases, you know, definitely improved stability a bit. And dot one, I think, is a lot better. I've been running the beta of dot one for a little while, and it it probably still had a few glitches, but uh, it it was reasonably stable. I stayed away from the dot one betas and just kind of hung out on the the dot o releases. And I don't find it to be that big of an issue. I don't really have any problems with it. The, the battery life does seem to be not so good, but yeah, the battery life was definitely an issue. Um, I feel like that got better in the 11.1 beta. I've heard the same thing too, although I had an iOS, or I had a, a plus phone, and I didn't really experience the effects, I guess, of the, the battery issue. Well, for me, I'm doing some gaming here and there on my phone, and those, those particular games can drain your battery pretty fast. So I don't really necessarily blame Apple for the bad battery life I've been experiencing as much as the games I've been playing on it, especially considering when I go and look at my power settings and 
you know, some of the games are absorbing a significant number of the percentage of the battery life. I blame Unity. That's probably fair. <laughs> so to kind of wrap up the iPhone X topic, in terms of like third-party apps that you've played around with on the iPhone X, um, you know, for me, I would say about half of the apps I have on my phone have been updated already. And for the most part, uh, they definitely look a lot better <laughs> when they support the iPhone X. Uh, but I, I definitely, even with some of the the more popular apps, have seen some kind of visual artifacts uh, with with the layout. And I have to imagine a lot of that's because people didn't have, developers didn't have physical devices to test on. What have you found? I've, I've noticed the same thing. Um, even the, the, I guess, so there's a lot of apps that still have the bars. Um, and I feel like those, some of those just may never get updated. But then the ones that kind of stink the most are the ones where maybe they already had the the launch storyboard and they submitted an update. Yeah. They didn't really have much time to test on iPhone 10, kind of like you were saying. And like, so the new, uh, one of the things that I was worried about was Chipotle never updates their ad or app or whatever. It takes forever, but they just completely redesigned their app and they shipped it like a day or two ago. And the menu button, like at the bottom middle of their screen is literally right under the home indicator. So <laughs> I'm sure, I'm sure that'll get fixed since they just released it or they yeah. will fix that stuff. Up. Yeah. A lot of my, a lot of my apps are like I said, either black bars or there's some work to do. So yeah, I've got some of the Google apps have been updated. Some have not. Um, and, and maybe the same thing that you're talking about where they just said built on Xcode nine and, uh, it just so happened they put a release out. It may not have even been intentional, but uh, you know, I think most of the apps that are actively developed, we'll, we'll see those come along reasonably well. The, the letterboxing really isn't as bad as I was expecting because the black just blends into the bezel. It doesn't, you know, it's not as noticeable. It just seems like the bezel is bigger. Uh, Although it makes it, it feels like, inferior though just because you're used to everything being like the whole screen oh yeah not yeah yeah i do yeah. have a there's a game i've been playing quite a bit and they put their kind of info bar at the top and it's getting clipped by the notch um but other than that it's been uh it's been pretty good all right well i guess we have uh contemplated your two iphone tens long enough for tonight um I'll help you uh, tell us where we can find you on the internet. You can find me at AJ Robinson on Twitter. I'm at Alex Argo. And I'm at Sam Corder. The podcast is at Shared Inst on Twitter. And you can chat with us if you like at chat.sharedinstance.com.